0: Our second reading is from the prophet Amos, chapter 9. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it, as in the days of old. that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The word of the Lord.
1: I hear we've been investigating a book of the Bible that doesn't get read very often in most churches, the book of Amos. And uh, before we begin, let's just review quickly who Amos was. He was a real person, a real historical figure, someone worth knowing. He was a shepherd and a farmer. His hands would have been calloused. His skin would have been dark and leathery from working out under the hot Middle Eastern sun. God spoke to Amos And gave him a message and told him to travel from his home in the south up to the northern tribes of Israel to give them a message from God. And this made Amos a prophet. A prophet is somebody who speaks on behalf of God to people. Now, last week, you took a closer look at the first half of the book of Amos. And last week, you looked in particular at the justice and the righteousness of God. That's what I heard. That's what I listened to online uh, on Wednesday this week. And what I heard was that you all were asked to take a close look at your own world and wherever you see unfairness, then perhaps that's a call from God for you to get involved. Not just for the sake of fairness, but for the sake of restoring all of those around you to health. And that's absolutely right. It's a good thing. It's absolutely true. Today, we're going to take a look at the last chapter of the book of Amos, chapter nine. And what I think we're going to see is that in the last chapter of Amos, chapter nine, what God is up to there is actually a remarkable summary of what God has always been up to from, uh, from the beginning of time, throughout all of time and space and history. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. When I was 12 years old, my parents gave me a book by Brian Jacques and the book was called Matameo. Has anyone read this book? One. Yes. We need to talk. <laughs> I was given the book Matameo by Brian Jacques, and I opened it up and I sat on my couch and in my parents' home and I began to read. And here is what I found: Matameus, or Matthias rather, was a warrior mouse. You heard me right, a warrior mouse. His skill with the sword unparalleled. His courage unquestioned, his determination unyielding. Matthias, aside from being a warrior mouse, was also a father. And his son, Matameo had been kidnapped by an evil fox. And Matthias was on a mission to rescue his son. And his mission takes him through thick forests, over high mountains, and through dangerous swamps. And along the way, Matthias encounters other woodland creatures, badgers, hedgehogs, squirrels, and they're all in need of rescuing. And so he fights. Being a warrior of of justice, he fights and he frees these other woodland creatures. And these badgers and hedgehogs and squirrels realize that they owe their freedom to Matthias, the warrior. And they realize that it's his mission that has brought about their freedom. And so they join him on his quest to rescue his son. You know, It's no coincidence that in the Bible, God is described as a father and humanity is described as his children because in the Bible, we see that God is on a mission, a mission to rescue his children. We see God in pursuit of human beings all throughout the story of the Bible. In fact, even in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, we see this taking place. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, I believe we have that on a slide here we see God making a covenant with Abram. And this is where we see God's mission for the first time. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you view a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are two very important things to notice here that will color our entire conversation this morning. The first is that God is on a mission to reach all people all over the world through his chosen people. That's his vehicle. From the beginning, it has always been God's intent to reach everyone. That's first thing. Second thing is that most covenants, most agreements between two parties usually involve both sides making promises to each other. However, if you notice, in this case, there's only one party making all the promises. God makes all the promises to Abram, and Abram just receives it. He doesn't make any promises back. And that means that the weight, the burden, of how this covenant, this agreement, is going to actually come about lies solely on God and not on Abram at all. In other words, the weight, the burden of the mission, of this mission actually being fulfilled, is all on God. Nobody and nothing can derail it. Nothing can stand in the way of God's mission. Sort of like a warrior father on a mission to rescue his son. Nothing will stand in his path. And in fact, God is so committed to his mission that he won't even let his own people, the nation of Israel, stand in the way. And that, Christ Church Vienna, is the best context in which to understand Amos chapter 9, that God is so committed to his mission that he won't let anybody, not even his own people, stand in the way. You see, God's own people had become so corrupt that rather than partnering with him as they were supposed to in his mission, they are actually beginning to hoard all of the blessings that God had given them. And thus, they were beginning to work against the mission of God rather than partnering with the mission of God. And therefore, God, out of concern for his own people, out of concern for reaching all people, out of commitment to his mission, God decides to judge and therefore purify his own people. That's the context of Amos chapter nine. That's the context of the entire book of Amos. And that's the reason behind and underneath all of the harsh and violent judgment that you find in the book of Amos. In Amos chapter nine, verse nine, I believe we have the slide up here. God says through Amos, he says, for behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say, disaster shall not overtake and meet us, or meet us. Have you ever used a colander or a sieve before? You have to shake it around in order to get all of the impurities, whatever you're trying to get rid of, to fall through the cracks so that you're left with the good stuff, the stuff, the useful stuff in the middle. And just as all of the badgers and the hedgehogs and the squirrels that were rescued by Matthias chose to partner with Matthias in his quest So the nation of Israel was supposed to partner with God in his mission to reach all people and bring them to himself, but they didn't do it. And those who didn't are sifted out. They have demonstrated that because they are not a part of God's mission, they're not a part of God's people. Let me say that again. We need to make sure we get this. The people of Israel have those who have disobeyed God, who have become corrupt, who are hoarding their blessings. They have demonstrated that because they are not a part of God's mission, they are not a part of God's people. The two go together. And that is the context of Amos chapter nine. Those who don't are sifted out and only those who are committed to the mission of God remain. But you know, isn't it good news that it doesn't end there? Because you see, the judgment of God is never an end unto itself. It doesn't end there. The story isn't over. The chapter, uh, chapter 9 isn't over. Because having sifted and purified his people, God promises to rebuild and restore them. In the very next verse, chapter 9, verse 11, God says this through Amos. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. You know, every Israelite that heard that sentence, you know what they would have felt? They would have been comforted. They would have been reassured. Because even though they've heard all about the harsh judgment of God that is coming towards them, in this sentence, God reminds them, I have not forgotten the promise I made to Abram. I have not forgotten my covenant. I have not abandoned my mission. It's still on. God has not abandoned his mission. And when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, as a descendant of David, then this sentence, this verse about rebuilding the house of David was fulfilled. And through Jesus, God's people are restored, rebuilt into a right relationship with him. And you know what? It gets even better. It doesn't end there. Here's what happens next. The mission is still on. Having sifted and purified his people through judgment, having restored them into a right relationship with himself through Jesus, God is still committed to his quest to reach all people. In the very next verse, we see that after the judgment and after the restoration, it expands and it goes out. In the very next verse, it says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Very interesting. You know, if you fast forward a couple hundred years, you see this verse fulfilled. It comes to fruition. And here's what happens. The early Christians, the early church, are gathered together in Jerusalem. And James, who is a follower of Jesus, stands up and he begins to talk to them. And now we're in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 15. I believe we have it up there on its way. Acts chapter 15, James stands up and here's what he says. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. There we go. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Hang on. He's about to quote Amos chapter nine. Check this out. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. And then James, after quoting Amos 9, turns to all the other new early Christians in the room and says, therefore, my judgment is that we shouldn't trouble all those Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, James tells the church, look, this has always been a part of God's plan. From the very beginning, God has always wanted to include people from every nook and cranny of the globe in his covenant family. So we shouldn't be surprised that all of these foreigners, all of these strangers actually want to come in and put their faith in Jesus and be a part of God's family. And this has already impacted you. I mean, you. Have you ever thought of it that way? If God were not so committed to his mission, so determined to reach people from every tribe and nation all over the world, then you would not be sitting here this morning. If the first Christians had not taken Amos chapter 9 seriously, then we might not have been included, but we are included. We are included because God was so committed to his mission to bring everyone in that he would not let even his own people's disobedience stand in the way. You are included and I am included in the family of God because through Jesus, we all get to be restored to a right relationship with God. This has always been God's mission and he never, ever gave up on it. Praise the Lord for that. He never gave up on it. And therefore, we get to gather together in 2015 and be a part of God's family because God was committed to his mission. You know, when all of those downtrodden badgers and hedgehogs and squirrels were rescued by Matthias, they joined him on his mission. What else could they do? They owed him their lives. They realized that they had been rescued by him because of his mission. And so they became his partners. His mission became their mission. And if you have put your faith in Jesus as your only hope for rescue from the tangled mess of your life and you have been baptized and included in the covenant family of God, then friends, God's mission becomes your mission. You become partners with God. God's mission is to reach all people, to bless them and to include them in his family. Therefore, your mission is to bless all people, to reach them and to include them in God's covenant family. You become God's partners. So what does partnership mean? What does it look like to be a partner with God? Well, it means many things, but at its most fundamental level, it means that you are not working alone. You are not sent off on mission by yourself. You are a partner with God. So in your work this week, whether you're in school or at home, in an office or on the road, You are not working alone. You are not on mission alone. God is with you, partnering with you in his work. But it's more than that because it's not just an individual mission, is it? It's not just you and God, it's us and God. So as we partner with God as a community, so we also partner with each other. Squirrels, badgers, mice, hedgehogs, partnering together for a common cause. And what does this give us? It gives us a few things. It gives us a leader. We have someone in charge of the mission. It gives us teammates, people with whom we do the mission. And it gives us all a common purpose, a common cause. You and I, if you put your faith in Jesus, you and I will spend the rest of our lives partnering with God and partnering with each other on his mission to bring the world to himself. And you know what? That's still not the end of the story. It keeps going and it gets even better. It gets even better because when Matthias and his band of freed woodland creatures finally catch up with that wicked fox that has kidnapped his son, you know what happens? A great battle ensues. And Matthias slays the fox. And even though there are casualties on both sides, good triumphs over evil. The son is rescued. And even then, that's still not the end of the story. It keeps going. Because if you think, just as for many of us, when you encountered Jesus for the first time, or maybe in the moment when you finally put your faith in him for the first time and gave over your whole life to Jesus, your story didn't end there, did it? No. And and in the same way, even as we partner together with each other in this grand mission of God, There will come a time when some of our neighbors, some of our friends, hopefully some of our family will also put their faith in Jesus and become a part of God's family. But even then, it will still not be over. The story won't end. You see, Matthias and his son, Mattimaeo, and all the woodland creatures, what do they do? They go back to their homeland. You know what they do? They begin to set up tables and long benches and they prepare to celebrate Mice and moles, squirrels and hedgehogs, badgers and otters, male and female, young and old, sitting down, paw to paw, tail to tail, and they have a magnificent feast. You can hardly imagine all of the incredible things to eat and drink. Rich, dark wine, crisp, frothy beer, sweet, sparkling fruit juices, vegetables, baked, fried, roasted and steamed, fresh hot bread, warm, flaky pastries, candied fruits of every kind you could possibly desire. The band of warriors and rescued creatures sit down to a feast and they eat and they drink and they celebrate the fulfillment of the mission. The story ends with a party. In a similar way, it reminds me of the very end of Amos chapter 9. Because you see, after the judgment, the purification of God's people, after his people are restored and then sent out in mission to expand and bring in people from all over the world, the story isn't over there. It ends with a party. And here we have the last few verses of Amos' message from God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, and the mountains shall drip sweet wine. What an image! And the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. Says the Lord your God. What a beautiful picture. Here God gives us a glimpse of his future. And it is beautiful. The end goal of the mission, the end goal of everything God is doing from the beginning of time, the end goal a purpose of everything is rich, succulent, nutrient-filled soil in which God will plant his people and a society will grow up that is thriving and flourishing, that lives forever in abundance. The whole world metaphorically blossoming and blooming forever and ever and ever. What a beautiful picture. What a God. What a mission. A mission and God worth giving your life to. You know, this is the gospel according to Amos. It's the same gospel as you'll find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the same God who makes a promise to Abram. The same mission to bless people from every nation all over the earth by bringing them into the covenant family of God. If you belong to God's family, if you are a part of God's covenant family, then his mission is your mission. And so this week, partner with God, partner with each other. And as we work in our mundane, everyday, same old kind of lives, partnering with God in his mission, partnering with each other in our work, we do so looking forward to the day when the mission will be complete and we will feast and celebrate with God and with each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our warrior father and that you are on a mission to rescue human beings and to rescue your world. We are thankful that you came and included us, that we get to be a part of your family and therefore a part of your mission. God, I pray that you would help us to partner with you and to partner with each other in your mission to bring our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, everyone around us into your family. Please help us. We need your help. Thank you for giving us such a beautiful vision of your future Which is now our future. We are so thankful and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Our Father, He lives from the ashes. He raises the poor and the lost. He seats them to dine at His table. To feast without money or cost The lonely settles in families The barren he maze Oh happy the heart of the stranger Is welcomed by the glory fills the skies, but humbles himself with a broken to dwell. Who is like our God? Sing who is like. Who with the bro